available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together, we are the Podcast of Champions talking all things Pac-12 football. we got a lot of Pac-12 hoops to get to this week. No, just kidding. We're never going to talk oh, about God. that. No, we're not going to do that. But we do want to get to your questions. Uh, so we appreciate that if you want to send stuff in. We're going to talk about the Pac-12 South recruiting with Greg Biggins today. But if you want to email us, our email box always open, pack12podcast at gmail.com. Can you close email boxes, Dave? I guess you could like put a vacation I don't know. setting. Put, put, put them down for repair, you know, <laughs> take them offline. No, no, I don't think that's a possibility. I think no. it's, it's, it's always open, open for business here. And we'll look at it at least once a week. So we'll check it out <laughs> right before we record our show or actually during while we're recording our show. Uh, if you want to tweet us, that's a little bit more immediate at Pac-12 Podcast. Of course, our website where you can find all our old shows at Pac-12, I'm sorry, Pac-12Podcast.com. And then our Google voicemail that David set up so long ago. You can text us or voice, you know, call us and leave a voicemail like the old school, 424-532-0678. That's how you get a hold of us, Dave. That is how you get a hold of us. And we are very excited to get a hold of national recruiting analyst Greg Biggins today. Greg, how are you? What's up, fellas? How are you? Uh, we're good. Is that is that your title? Are Am you I a on? national re- your national recruiting analyst? I, I had the mute button on. I think so. That's what the business card says. All right. I don't have business cards yet, but if I did have some, they would say national recruiting analyst. I believe. Because I think I'm I, just looking at his Twitter profile is that right okay? now. Yeah. Change it? No, no. I think Huff. I think we thought that. Well, I thought that was Huffman's, but he's like national recruiting editor or something. So it was a little different. Yeah, he's got a little more status. Oh. You know what I'm saying? He's yeah, but you you I'm analyze. He edits what little kid. Yeah, he he edits what you analyze. So really, I mean, you could you could make an argument. You're you're up above. You know, there's no, arguments to be he's made. He's a five star. <laughs> he's five star. I'm just like you know. I'm just a lowly. You know, trying to trying to get to that three star status. <laughs> Please, I, I, I'm not even sure UCLA would offer me Woody. I'm I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm I need to get. Would you I'm, pass I'm the character eval? I would do. I think I would do that unless they talked about the times that we went out together at the opening, baby. <laughs> that was good times. It Ryan, good you times. should have been there, man. Oh, woo! Fun Got stuff. Excited. Just thinking about just thinking about good times. Hey, if my dog starts barking really loud, just ign- hopefully you guys got a, a, a cough button or something because she's about to go nuts. Okay. <laughs> we'll just do our best. It out there. <laughs> we'll, we'll do our best. Um, well, Greg, we wanted to have you on because uh, last week we had the aforementioned Brandon Huffman on to talk about the Pac-12 North. And I, I don't know if you feel like you drew the short straw, but you get to talk about the Pac-12 South. But, you know, he lives up there. You live down here. We figured that's that's how we would divide it up. I like it. All right. Once you guys told me who was in the South, I was ready to go. 
<laughs> it's not BYU, not Fresno State. Um, though those programs have pretty good records. San Diego State. Uh, well, Dave, should we just uh, do what we did last time? Go go backwards. Let's uh, dive right in, starting at the bottom, working our way up, just like Drake. All right, we will <laughs> start. Sorry, right, at the bottom. Now I'm here. Oh, I'm you hear that? Fellas. Every one of those seven on seven tournaments, you hear that. Have they upgraded? Uh, this is a, an aside. Have they have they updated the soundtrack in the last five years? Because I'm I'm still remembering like I woke up in a new Bugatti. Oh yeah, that song. Remember that one? Still there. Oh god, they're all the same. They've been the same for like six years. <laughs> Crazy. Crazy, Woody. Yeah, You're, you can fly in a G6, and there's a bunch of songs that you know that the kids listen to. But the, yeah, it seems like to be the same ones over and over again. Um, all right. Well, we're going to start. So uh, go from the bottom to the top. So we have the number 11, the 11th ranked uh, program in the Pac-12 as far as recruiting goes is Utah Utes. All right. So Utah. Oh, crap. <laughs> Utah currently rated uh, 65th nationally uh, after being 33rd last year. But it's kind of a weird class. They only have. Nine guys signed right now. Four hard commits. What's the what's the story here, Biggins? Why uh, why did Utah only sign nine guys in the early period compared to you know some some schools are basically done at this point. They are they still looking to fill up and and why only nine in the early period? Yeah, man, I love Utah. It's one of my favorite schools. I love the way they evaluate and develop. I know you do as well. Both of you guys do. Um, so, you know, it's a combination of things. They don't have a, a ton of seniors. And honestly, if you're just kind of keeping it real, they missed on some guys. And that's what happened. So it's a kind of a smallish class right now. They still have plenty of spots to fill. Hopefully they close with a bang. They're kind of still waiting on a couple elite kids, some in-state kids, or, you know, see if they can flip Puka Nasia from Orem. They're trying to get Jordan Wilmore, who recently decommitted from USC. But look at the look at their class of the guys, the nine guys they do have. It's a pretty good-looking class. A couple projects in there. Um, but, you know, Micah Bernard, Maris Talavo, uh, Sateo Lamea, those are all dudes that can play. Uh, Darren Jones, he has some eligibility issues. If he signs, it can play. He's an instant impact guy. Uh, Travis McLeod from Oklahoma, he's a guy who's, you know, in that four-star bubble right now. He can go. So, it's a good class if you kind of do the whole per player ranking. Um, it's just a smallest class right now, so hopefully, you know, hopefully they can close with a bang. The uh, you mentioned uh, Puka, who we, who's done really well at San Antonio, the four star wide receiver. Uh, also, he did he did a great job in uh, Hawaii for the Polynesian Bowl. So Blair and myself and Brandon were out there, got to see him and just doing you know doing great things. Um, took an official visit, I believe, to Washington this past weekend. Still, you know, committed to USC, but the hometown team with Washington and, and some needs there. What do you feel like? Uh, I mean, with with Utah, do you feel like Utah's got a decent chance to to try to flip him and keep him keep him home? Yeah, I do. I do. I think it's decent. I wouldn't say you know I wouldn't give them the edge. You know, talking to Blair a little bit, he said Washington really wowed him quite a bit. So I, I would watch out for the Huskies right now, maybe more so than Utah, but. I mean, his brother goes to Utah. He'd be the hometown hero. Uh, there's a lot of pluses for him going to Utah. But as of right now, I still think he's with USC. I would say watch out for the Huskies, though. But Utah is definitely making a big push for him. 
Uh, <clears throat> one thing that stands out, even in this small class, uh, they have four offensive line commits, the Colby Tucker, um, uh, Luke Felix Fualalo, and uh, uh, the aforementioned guys you already mentioned. Can you go a little bit more in depth? What do you think of this offensive line class? Is this a, a pretty good building block for them to replace um, kind of the guys they've lost over the last couple of years? Yeah, yeah, and I and I think also uh, Falcon Kamatule, he's listed as an athlete, but I, I think his best long-term position might be as an offensive tackle, even though he's more of a defensive guy right now. Luke Felix was definitely a project. He didn't play as a senior. Uh, he transferred into modern day, and then they found out that because he came over from, I want to say either Australia or um, the other place, that kind of reminds me of Australia. New Zealand. New Zealand, he had something weird with his transcripts where he had already completed his eligibility and wasn't able to play. So he played one game this year for modern day, and then that was it. So I thought that really hurt him because he's a kid who needs to develop. And so even though he was able to practice, missing all that game experience was rough. But he, he's an athletic kid. You know, he's a guy who again, has, a, has kind of a, a background in rugby. And I, I think there's, you know, got the size and the frame. So He's not a guy I, I would expect to see in the first couple of years, but long-term, again, Utah, they can develop, develop him. He's got a chance. I, I like Maris Talabo a lot. St. John Bosco kid, he started on Bosco's national championship team when he was a sophomore, and then he missed his whole junior year, uh, had some shoulder issues. I think he may have torn his labrum, so he only played maybe one or two games, and then he had a really good senior year this past year, so kind of kind of rallied and. He's an inside guy, guard, potentially a center. Um, but I like him a, quite a bit. And then uh, Lamea is a kid who plays on both sides of the ball. Uh, we moved, recently moved him up to four-star status. I, I was pushing him a little bit to make that final 247 ranking. Um, I got denied because I'm not Brandon Huffman. I don't have that status <laughs> yet. But LeMay is pretty good. You know, he's a physical kid, one of the most physical kids out west. Kind of just fits what you think of Utah. They're always, you know, you think of their offensive line, defensive line, it's always tough, grinders, guys who work hard and, and kind of play mean and angry. So I think LeMaya and Talibo are the two guys that can kind of step in and compete for playing time pretty early. Greg, if you look at the, you know, it's a small class, obviously, um, you know, with not a lot of seniors. But if you look at the distribution by state, um, you know, five guys from California, it seems normal, but like, you know, one from Arizona, one from Nevada, one from Utah. Do you expect like more guys to come maybe out of that region? The fact the Pac-12 footprint for, for Utah's recruiting classes in general? I mean, I think Texas is a place that they can recruit from and, and have in the past, but I think they're going to always want to get most of their kids probably from in-state and in California. You know, they got really good ties to both places. Obviously, I think Utah has really come up in terms of talent, uh, you know, for a while there, we kind of trying to figure out, hey, who's the who's the number two state out west in terms of producing high school players behind California? I think right now it's Utah. I would take you know your top ten guys from Utah over the top ten from Arizona, Oregon, or Washington. So there's a lot of talent in state, and every year they get add more depth. So you figure every year they should be able to get between five and seven pretty good players from Utah, and you come into California and they should be able to get another ten just from Southern California alone. So if they want to go and pooch a kid or poach a kid, excuse me, um, from a Nevada or from an Arizona uh, place like that, maybe get a couple from Texas. I think, yeah, I think that's, that's the strategy that I would be utilizing if I was 
their recruiting coordinator, which they don't need me. They have Fred <laughs> Winningham, who does a really good job over there. So, but that's a good strategy, I think. You know, fill up on in-state California kids and kind of maybe go around the horn and, and get a few guys from those other surrounding states. Well, you're not focusing on the most important pipeline for Utah, which is clearly Australia. Uh, they 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 got it. <laughs> they got a, yeah. They got they got a punter from Australia. How how did we not lead off with this? Ben Lennon, give me the full yes. evaluation, the full workup. Where does he rank on the Wishnowski scale? Is he going to step in and immediately be just booming punts sixty yards downfield? Oh, dude. Well, you know Australia. You know they're they're known for their for their kickers, right? Rugby style kickers are gonna they're gonna. Has Utah ever not had a good punter and a kicker? So never. Ben Lennon, who I, I believe he's a great nephew of the great John Lennon. I just made that up, but that'd be cool. If I he think was. that's right. I think I, I, it Is feels it? right. It great, feels great, right. Great nephew. Um, God, imagine. Imagine I just all the people. Imagine yeah. all the people. Ben. <laughs> so I'm anticipating Ben Lennon. It'll probably be a three-time Pac-12 all-league participant and has a future those i love those little those kickers that just kind of run around to the right kick it throws out of bounds at the five yard line utah always has kickers just australia and utah and kicking like that's that's the holy trinity right there baby nice so how many times you've gone out to see him in person (laughs) you know i've yet to make it to australia what but you know what I'm going to, I'm, dude, that's on my bucket list. That's the one place I would love to visit. My wife went there for like 14 days a couple of years ago and she didn't want to come home. She was waving the Australian flag and was kind of, I didn't think they're going to let her back in the country because of, <laughs> of all the blasphemy she was spouting on face on social media about how much better Australia was than, than our lovely country right now. Yeah. That's a great trip, but you should, you know, Huffman would be out there. That's why he's an editor, I guess, you know, so he would have gone and seen this kid. Um, but yeah, of course you've been, Ryan. You 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 live the dream like no other man. You you've done it and seen it all. We got to get you out to uh, Hawaii next year. You and Dave, both you guys. Yeah, tell me about it. I definitely need to be out there. <laughs> all right, Woody, well, let's go. Let's make it happen. You can be roommates. It'll be perfect. Um, That'd be awesome. All right, well, let's move on. Anything else there? We should move on to the next team. Yep, let's let's move it. All right, number nine, we have Arizona Wildcats. All right, Zona's 49th nationally right now. Last year, they were 61st, uh, ranked number nine in the Pac-12. Uh, right now, they have seven guys who are enrolled, 12 who are signed and rolling a little bit later, um, and no additional commits at the moment. Um did you see any kind of, I don't know, Kevin Sumlin boost with this class as compared to what Rich Rod was doing his last couple of years? Because, you know, Sumlin obviously had that great recruiting reputation uh, carried over from, from Houston and Texas A&M. Did, did you see that boost this time? You know, it's not bad. you got to figure Arizona only won. How many games did they win? Like four or five? I think it was five, right? Was it five? And so... 49 nationally is not too bad at all. Like that's, that's actually pretty good. I know they're really happy with the quarterback. They have Grant Cannell, who's thrown for millions of yards. He's been putting up, putting up video game numbers uh, out there at St. Pius in Houston. Um, and I think getting Cannell was, was, was big because it allowed them to get his teammate, Jalen Curry, who I think is an even better prospect at receiver. Uh, Coach Meet, Demetrius Martin, who – Obviously, a lot of people know about out in Southern California, but he signed. They signed a pretty solid DB class. Bobby Wolf and Jackson Turner and Chris Rowland was huge. I mean, he was very, very, very close to 
flipping over to USC. They, they tripped him in late and he loved it, man. Everyone was kind of freaking out when Chris Rowland took all of his U of A stuff off his Twitter feed. And that's kind of where modern day recruiting is now, right? People kind of monitor your Twitter profile pics and all that little bio stuff. And once that stuff disappears, it's like, well, this guy's out of here. But, uh, <laughs> Coach Meat was able to hold on to Chris Roland, who's quality, quality football player, can play corner or safety. And, um, yeah, Maurice Gaines, another guy who's, you know, played at a prep school, St. Thomas back in Connecticut, and a long 6'2 corner. So the DB class is, is really, really good, I think. Uh, overall, I think pretty solid job by U of A and Coach Sumlin. Uh, Greg, yeah. So uh, Arizona was five and seven, four and five in the Pac-12. Um, are they, are they kind of recruiting at the level you expected when they brought in Kevin Sumlin? And and does he have kind of like guys on his staff that you feel? You mentioned Demetrius Martin, but some guys that you feel like can be good real recruiters in Southern California. Yeah, I think so. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the guys have experience recruit, recruiting this area. Um, you know, Marcel Yates is a guy who's been around forever. He's, he's on the staff and very, very likable guy, defensive coordinator, linebacker coach, you know, coach Smith as well. So overall, yeah, it's a good staff. It's a, it's a really good staff. You expect him to do, do a lot of work in Texas. That's where someone's ties are, but uh, to come out in, in Southern California, even Fresno, you know, getting, you know, I can't say his name, Quabina Watson, uh, kind of a hybrid outside linebacker defensive end. That's a guy they, they were on early and then his recruitment kind of picked up a little bit, but they were able to hang on to him. So, I mean, overall, uh, you know, not surprised that I think they signed more California guys than Texas. I, I thought it might be a little, little more 50, 50 ish, but those are the two areas that I think they're going to focus on. And that's not, that's not bad. Those are probably two States that produce a, a ton of players. And I think the problem for Arizona and Arizona State is so many of the elite kids, it's almost like, you know, Hawaii, where you have all the top players from Hawaii want to leave the island. They want to get off the rock, using their term. And just over the years, it's been, always been very, very tough for the two in-state schools to keep those elite kids home. For whatever reason, those guys always want to go out and, and play for other schools. That's obviously exception to the rules, right? And Kill Harry was All-American. That's the exception. But you got you to gotta think, you know, if they can just somehow – go into a school like a Saguaro or a Chandler and get those top elite kids and, and kind of build that fence. One of those two schools could really do some damage, but it's, it's been tough for those, you know, both Arizona schools to, to keep those, those top guys home. So I think that's what, if I'm Arizona, you got to try to focus on that if you can. Um, Cause I mean, again, Arizona, they have a, a quality 10 to 15 players, Everybody that can play for any school in the country. Maybe not 15, but I would say between five to seven elite, elite kids, and then another 10 to 15 that are easily high-level Pac-12 guys that they got to try to keep home. Uh, looking at the class as a whole, there's 19 guys committed right now. Um, are they close to full? How many more guys do you anticipate them taking um, uh, on Wednesday? I think they're pretty close to full. I, you know, I'm sure there's, there's always spots available if you're, you know, still tripping kids. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if they brought anybody in this past weekend or not. Um, but, uh, yeah, I expected it to be about a 21 to 22 person, person class. And yeah, like I said, if there's a few more guys out there that they will definitely find, find spots for them. So, but I think they're, they're pretty much wrapped it up. Uh, one last thing for me, uh, Greg, looking at the distribution, 
Uh, five players from California, but eight from the state of Texas. Do you feel that that's going to keep going that way, or is it going to even out a little bit more, or do you think someone's going to recruit Texas for the you know foreseeable future? Yeah, I think for the for, for the uh, foreseeable future, for sure. I mean, again, that's where he's from. That's where his ties are. He's spent a ton of time at Houston and and A and M, and so you know, I, again, you're not talking about you're talking about a state that's probably one of the top three or four in the country for producing high level talent. So if you got a, if you got ties there. And it's a place that you can get kids and, and they're quality players. Definitely. That's a place I think they should probably try to sign between seven, and eight kids from Texas every single year. So yeah, I think they're going to continue to hit that pretty hard. All right. Yeah. Anything else, David, or we move on. Nope. Let's move it. All right. Number eight, we have Colorado Buffalo. All right, Colorado, 46th nationally. They were 52nd last year, currently 8th in the Pac-12. Um, looking at this class, uh, Greg, who who are kind of your standouts uh, from this group that they've already signed? So I think they've done well, and they hit Southern California really hard, lost a few kids who decided that, you know, that were committed, and then they lost them during the, during the coaching change. Uh, Titus Toller was a big one. They lost him to Wisconsin. Um, I think there was maybe one other kid. I know Don Chapman, the committed San Diego product who committed last night uh, to North Carolina. But overall, I, I like what they're doing. You know, KJ Trujillo, Mark Perry, uh, a couple really good Southern California kids. That DB class, I think, is really strong. Kind of one of my bigger sleepers out west is Naeem Rodman, who's you know, another St. John Bosco kid was part of a, a rotation with like seven or eight D linemen in the other school. He, he's dominating and putting up big numbers, but because they have so much talent there, uh, you know, he didn't put up numbers, but he's a big, strong inside guy. Just a, a pure prototype nose guard, three tech type kid, Tariq Luckett, I thought was one of the more under-recruited players out West. He only had, you know, maybe two or three Pac-12 offers. And for me, he's a kid who can play for just about anybody. So he didn't sign in, in December, kind of wanted to, you know, wait. And uh, Oregon made a late run, but he decided to cancel his Oregon visit that was set for this past weekend. And he firm, firmed up with Colorado. Trustin Oliver, I believe, just committed over the weekend. He's an in-state kid who's an athlete, can play on both sides of the ball. Uh, I, I think Mel Tucker's going to be good. I think he's, uh, he's very well respected. Everyone I've talked to, kid, kids-wise and coach-wise, they say, man, this guy's the real deal. Uh, we believe what he's saying. He's got an SEC background, and we feel that you know he's gonna he's gonna bring in an SEC style defense, and and they don't really you know play a lot of great defense in the Pac-12, so you know that style he feels can can win games. So I'm interested to see how they do over the coming years. I've always been you know a fan of, of CU, the program going back to the Bill McCartney, Darian Hagan, Eric Bieniemy team is from. You know, late 80s, early 90s, I, those teams were so much fun to watch. So I'm definitely pulling for the buffs. Love those helmets. Love the uniforms. You got to love Ralphie. Love Ralphie, too. Love That's... Ralphie. Man, and I, I have been to Colorado. I have been to Boulder. So I haven't been to, been to Australia yet, but I've been to Boulder a few times. <laughs> and, dude, it's about as beautiful a campus as you'll, you're ever going to find. It's incredible there. Yeah. And it's just as exotic as Australia, too. Mm. You know? <laughs> just no kangaroos or, or uh, you know, koala bears. Koala but they, bears. Do have, they do have Ralphie. Yeah, Ralphie's pretty badass. Uh, well, what what's happened to this class? Because whenever this is the only coaching change we've had in the Pac-12 this offseason. So with Mel Tucker coming in, like you said, SEC ties and all that, 
did the class kind of just stay the same? Did it change a lot? Like what, what's it been like since he took over? No, like, like I mentioned, they, they lost a couple of guys. Uh, you know, Titus Toller was, 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 I think was a, was a big loss. Uh, Don Chapman was a, was a pretty sizable loss. Um, you know, my, my memory isn't as good as it used to be. Um, you know, the, the kid who ended up signing with UCLA, who was committed to USC, the JC kid, he was originally committed to Colorado. And uh, I know you guys know who I'm talking about. So we'll Daytona. probably get to him when we go. Yeah. Daytona Jackson, right? Yeah. So okay. he was a he was another big loss. He, people don't remember because he had the whole USC UCLA thing, but he was originally committed to Colorado. So uh, that was a loss. But I still I still think overall they're able to hang on to a lot of their class. You know, I'm, I pro- I'm not just saying this to be funny, but I did see they have a kid from Australia, <laughs> Valentine Sen. I did oh no, see no, 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 Biggins, Biggins, he's not. Aust- I did see him. Australia. He's not Australia. He's Austria. Oh, he's Austria. Dang it. No, he played in the Under Armour All-American game, and I was out there for that. And I kept going, dude, this guy is pretty good. Um, so, gosh, there is a difference between Austria and Australia, yeah. isn't there? Who knew, like, right? Just a couple letters. I, I've, been, I've been to both but, of them, Greg, so I, don't, I can tell you there's a difference. <laughs> have you really been to Austria? <laughs> yeah. I, post-graduation, I did a little uh, backpacking around Europe thing, and we spent some time in Austria. Salzburg oh is gosh. awesome. Vienna, I was like, yeah, like Salzburg was awesome. Yeah, that was the coolest city. So, like, if you sound of music and all that stuff, that's where all that crap took place. Yeah, they like that stuff. Did you did you reenact the Julie Andrews it. scene on the hill? <laughs> I did not. No, I don't think I don't think I'd seen the movie by the time I went. But most of the girls on the trip were like, "Oh my god, here's the gazebo where they got married." I'm like, "What are you talking about?" They were ready to kill me. Mm. So, sound of music was filmed in Austria. Yeah, it's like they're you know. I did. I did not know that. That's- uh, it was like an Austrian family, cool. you know, like uh, trying to get away from the Nazis, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, not a fan of Nazis, but no, this kid can play. Like he was, he was probably the most raw That's at, the, awesome at the Under Armour game. Yeah, dude, just want to get get off that. But this kid, he, he's got a he's got a high upside. I mean, John Garcia was out there with me at UA, and he filmed every single O line D line rep, and you could tell he doesn't really know how to play just yet in terms of like his stance, um, you know, technique wise, but he's athletic. He's all of six, seven. Uh, if he's listed, I know he's listed at two eighty five. He doesn't look like he's that heavy cause he's so lean, but, uh, remember that name, Valentin Sen. I think this guy has a chance to be really good. I mean, he won more reps than he lost probably going against the, the best players he's ever probably played against coming from Austria. So, um, I, I I'm really curious to see him in like four years. Dang. But, but between the signed guys and the commits, um, there's eight dudes who are outside of the footprint. Uh, Mississippi is featured pretty heavily. Austria, as we just talked about, Kansas, uh, guys from kind of all over. Do you see that as first? Is that something Colorado needs to do to be competitive? And two, is that something Mel Tucker is going to focus on recruiting kind of nationally and having a bigger profile for Colorado? So I'm noticing the theme here. You guys are asking that question. Is that like you guys write that? You guys ask Huff that same question when you guys did the back. Oh yeah. Not, oh yeah. I'm no, we do this. Just you guys, you guys actually have questions written out, and you're gonna a- ask those questions for every single school, aren't you? Is this I mean, what basically. he's gonna? Is this what he's gonna do moving forward? No, I mean, obviously Mel Tucker is an SEC guy, so heck yeah, you know, go recruit Georgia, Mississippi, Alabama. You know, pains me to say as a West Coast homer, but the best football is found in the South. And that comes from my, you know, 15 years of traveling, doing the Nike football camps and, 
you know, it's just it, they're just different out there. South Florida kids, kids in Georgia, they're just different. They look different. They act different. They're they're hungrier. The linemen are bigger. They're more athletic. Um, you know, I'm probably gonna get some angry emails for all this, but I mean, there's a reason why the Pac-12 is down. It's not just because you know everyone's favorite Larry Scott. It's not just because of him. It's, they actually have really good football players in the South, and it's just a different. It's just different. They're out there. So if you're Mel Tucker, you know, and you want to bring in some some dudes to play against the Pac-12 schools, you bring in some some guys from Georgia and from Florida and from Mississippi and from Louisiana and all those schools that Georgia recruited from, you're going to get some men, grown men. And then you still, because you're in Colorado, you can still go into Texas. You can still go into your surrounding states, which is like Oklahoma, Kansas. And then also you already have a pipeline into Southern California. You know, um, Coach Chef, Darren Chipperini, uh, did a great job recruiting Southern California this year. Really, really highly respected assistant coach and an absolute grinder on the recruiting trail. So uh, Colorado's got a pretty big base to choose from right now with, with Mel Tucker. Um, you talking about the, oh, by the way, if you want to angry tweets at Greg, at Greg Biggins, you can do that. Uh, if you're, if you're mad at him, <laughs> um, but you look at the one thing you do when you look at the breakdown by state is, uh, Colorado has five players from in state, you know, in, from the state of, of Colorado. Uh, is it easier for like a Colorado program to keep guys home as opposed to like an Arizona? You know, it's close. I think Colorado, it's a little bit easier, but again, you do see, a lot of the top, top elite kids, they, they, they will leave. So um, I think Colorado can do a better job of keeping them because I, I think they do have a, a tradition. You know, again, going back to those, you know, those really elite teams, the national championship team, the, the teams that were kind of, you know, winning, the, you know, beating Nebraska, winning the Big 12. I think there's still that, that going for them, that traditional power that maybe the Arizona schools don't have. In terms of talking to the the in-state kids, so um, Colorado can do it, but the, the the number one, two, three top kid there, I think that kid still is looking to leave, but I think they can keep him. I think they have a better chance of keeping him home. And but you got to win games. That, that's the thing. Some you know some kids will go to the local school no matter what. If you're a Texas kid, you want to play for A and M, Texas or Oklahoma no matter what. If you're a, a Southern California kid, you'll still go you know to USC. Although this year we're kind of seeing a little differently, but I think Colorado kid, you know, you got to win games to, in order for him to, to want to go play for them. All right. We'll move on, David. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, we have the number seven team. UCLA Bruins. All right. UCLA under Chip Kelly deciding to recruit like Michigan state. Uh, they're ranked 44th nationally after being 19th last year, seventh in the pack 12. Um, I, I, I'm not going to ask the basic questions here, Greg. What do you think of Chip Kelly's question? I want to know what you think. Ask I want, you the really un- want to know what I want the unvarnished. You want the Greg truth. Biggins opinion. I want the truth. I can handle the truth. I don't, I don't what know. What do you if, think of Chip Kelly's recruiting strategy? I don't know if the bros can handle the truth. I think you they like can. that line. You see what I just, see what, see what I I just did there. It was beautiful. You know, I'm so, I'm so out of the loop. I didn't even know there were uh 44. I thought they were like in the 70 or 80. So they moved up. Yeah. They've, they've made a nice little jump. Is I think it's just, right now? yeah. I mean, I think it's partly that, uh, just getting some more commits since the signing period, but I mean, they've yeah. been around in the forties. I mean, I think getting Sean Ryan helped, but 
look, it's UCLA. I mean, it, it shouldn't be 44th unless you've got Carl Durrell as your head coach. It's just ouch. Anyway, what's your thoughts on, on 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 the on the Chip Kelly the Chip Kelly recruiting strategy? You know, some flappy actually said Carl Durrell would be like the best recruiter. In the, I don't know who that guy was, but some joker actually said Carl Durrell would be the best recruiter in the in the Pac-10 when they definitely when they not somebody him. definitely not somebody who's still working in the business now. Yeah, unfortunately, he is, and you're talking to him. So let's move on. Move on from that. Um, he was a wide receiver coach I, for the Denver Broncos, so I get your point, you know. So what was the question? <laughs> Chip Kelly's recruiting strategy. Uh, what, do you, what do you think of it? You know, I'm not 100% sure I fully identified the strategy because every time I hear someone try to explain what it is, they go and do something that's a little bit different from what that strategy is supposed to be. For example, they're, they're talking about, you know, it's, it's very uh, – What's the word? Slaytics. Slaytics. Is that the word? I'm slaytics. Slaytics is the made-up word you're looking for. I kind of, I kind of combine analytics and slay, slaytics, whatever, <laughs> into one thing. So it's, it's about getting, you know, every. It's all about measurables, which I agree with. That's how we do rankings, honestly. At at two four seven, is it's all about NFL projection. So it's, it's looking at things like your length, your athleticism, uh, you know, how you you know, your long-term ability, um, all that stuff. You know, they're big into hand size and arm length. And I've, I've talked to so many high school coaches who say, dude, you tell me what come here? And it's the most thorough evaluation, like, ever. Like, they've never seen schools spend more time on our campus. They're talking to the coaches. They're talking to the athletic department. They're talking to the teachers. They're talking to the guys guidance counselor they're talking to the gender they're talking to the guy who picks up the trash talking to, talking to the guy who cuts the grass they're talking to the guy the lady who gives the milk away they're talking to literally everybody on campus about this kid and so i actually like the the more thorough evaluation um i think the the misconception though is in this end of the day you still have to recruit really really heavily right you still have to be um, you have to grind. You have to, yeah, you know, you have to love the kid up. And I know the counter to that is, well, we're UCLA and we don't want to have to do that. We don't want that kid who has to be constantly hounded on Twitter, blah, blah, blah. Unfortunately, um, for the most part, the kids, and I'm not going to embarrass anybody, but if you want to just get the kids who want to come to UCLA, then it's going to be a lot of the two star, low three star guys are getting right now. Um, the guys who don't really have a lot of other options other than some of the, you know, the FCS schools, if you want to compete at the highest level, you have to go after, you know, the guys. And, and, and you look at their offer list, you know, UCLA's offered, you know, a handful of, of really top quality players. But then when you talk to them, you're just not hearing them say, yeah, I'm not really hearing as much from UCLA as these other schools. You know, again, there's always, you know, exceptions to the rule. Um, they have out recruited other schools for some players. I think they did a really good job with William Nemo, uh, who was kind of an early Cal lean. And for me, he was a steal. I think he's going to be really, really good. Obviously, you know, Sean Ryan is for me, he's an outlier in the sense of this is the most unique kid I've ever seen. I mean, no Twitter, um, doesn't do interviews, just doesn't talk to anybody. 
Therefore, he doesn't care about how much attention you show. In fact, the, the less attention you show, the better. So I'm hoping that, you know, UCLA wouldn't look at Sean Ryan and say, hey, look, you know, we got this guy in the top 50 by not recruiting him hard. Let's use that strategy for everybody. Because it almost seems like that's part of the strategy with other players is, hey, let's not recruit them and see if they'll come because Sean Ryan did. You know what I'm saying? You can't use the exceptions to the rule and build your class that way. So Samar Martin can play. Duke Clemens can play. John Ward can play. Daytona Jackson can play. Uh, I like Siali Luku a lot. I think he really fits. He's a guy who's a big, huge kid, but he can move. Uh, I think Carl Jones can play. I think getting Jalen Irwin, Irwin, uh, was pretty quality. I love Michael Martinez as a tight end or even if he grows into a tackle. So they have some pretty good players. I think just for UCLA, I think we're kind of measuring up to what they could be, not what they have. It's who they could have if they kind of put, you know, maybe a little more effort in. And, you know, we're kind of seeing the 2020 class. They're already being a little bit more aggressive. They've already offered four quarterbacks in 2020. And I don't know if they've offered that many in the whole 2019 class. So if, uh, you know, if they're going to kind of combine their, their really high-level evaluation skills with being a little more aggressive recruiting-wise, I think, they're, I think they could be onto something. But this, this past year was just really weird, I think, for all of us to follow. It looks uh, like, I mean, the evaluation process seems a lot like uh, uh, when you're trying to get your security clearance, there's some government contract or something crazy, <laughs> like uh, everything to go through. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's good to be thorough, but I, I agree with you. You want to be able to be on more guys than that and and be, and be you have to kind of whine it, not, you know, not literally whine and dine, but, you know, get there and, and make phone calls, a lot of texts and stuff like that. Do you, strategy wise, you kind of went into it a lot. As far as like where uh, they're recruiting from, is it, is it a, our kind of guys sort of thing like you see with Chris Peterson? Or is there some similarities to what like David Shaw's doing or what they do at Stanford? Because it looks like I know there's like 10 or 11 states that, that UCLA's class uh, came from, you know, nine in California, but then like one in a whole bunch of other states, including like Florida and New Jersey. Uh, North Carolina. So it, it seems like it's, it's, they're trying to do like a national search as well. Yeah, no, the, the, our kind of guy, the, 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 the Washington Stanford comparison is really, really good. You know, they're not star chasing, which again, I have no issue with that. Go after the best players. I think, I think what the, you know, what, what, what I'm seeing sometimes on the, on the bro message board is the whole, you know, they'll offer a kid, you know, a couple of weeks ago who has no offers and it's like, yeah, this is, this is who we want from the, this is who our first choice is. That's not your first choice. That, that's like plan F. It's because you missed that on A, B, C, and D and E. That, that's why you got to this guy right now who has offers from like Cal State Fullerton, who we don't have a football program anymore. If we did, we'd be recruiting that guy. But we don't, so we're not. But talk about, you know, if we're talking baseball, I digress. Um, go Titans. <laughs> What was it? I forgot. I just lost my train of thought. No, to answer the question, um, Stanford, Washington, yeah. They, they are going after guys who are, you know, egoless guys. Um, prima donna, don't want them. I love that, right? They're looking at all the, the misses, for, you know, all the high-level four-star, five-star misses, what they have in common. You know, maybe they love to be re- recruited more than they like football. No problem cutting those guys out. Stanford. Um, the thing with Stanford, though, it's kind of hard. You know, Stanford has that academic reputation where, you know, UCLA obviously is high level when it comes to academics, but they don't have quite the Stanford prestige and reputation. So Stanford can go into, you know, Florida or New York or Ohio or Texas or anywhere in the country, and immediately they're going to be the top choice for mom and dad. That's kind of how it is, right? I mean, if my kid could go anywhere, it'd be Stanford. I've said that many times. So 
I think UCLA, if they're trying to go that route, I think it's, it's a decent strategy, but it's a tough strategy because they don't quite have that, that same academic reputation that Stanford has to go into a place outside the region and pull those kids in. So, but they are being very active in places all across the country. You mentioned like five or six states, and I still think Southern California should be their home. Uh, you know, go and grab an, an elite kid from th- those parts of the country if you can. But I feel like 80% of your class should probably be California kids. Did you notice, um, you know, under Mora when uh, they'd be, you know, recruiting high-level guys and then they would misevaluate their chances with those guys? Um I mean, UCLA obviously did not recruit as many high-profile guys this cycle, but did you, did you notice any kind of similar misevaluation of chances? I know Brew McCoy is one noticeable example of a guy they actually did recruit hard, um, who ultimately, you know, really wasn't considering them too heavily. But did you notice that as like kind of a prevalent theme for UCLA at all? Uh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I do think they felt they had a better chance with Brew than they did. Um, you know, they they held off on going really hard after Puka, going hard after Ty McCullough, because they felt like they had a, a, a real shot with Brew. The reality was it was USC and Texas from almost the get-go. And Washington was probably the number number three choice. So I think that might have been the, the big mis, misread. You know, I think on the other end of the spectrum, I think Kyle Ford is a guy who they misread and, and didn't go out go hard after enough. There was a time back in the summer when people close to him uh, were telling me it was probably, you know, UCLA and Washington and then Oregon kind of crept in there, but you know, USC wasn't really in his top three at the time of the opening. And then USC kind of came on later on, but UCLA kind of, kind of just stopped recruiting him that hard. I don't know if maybe they evaluated him and just feel like he wasn't good enough, but for a time he was one of their top guys on their board. The staff went out and saw him and, and they were high on him. And I think if they had maintained their interest from the spring all the way up until now, they would have had a real shot with him. So in terms of guys who I think they, they thought they had a better chance with, uh, who they didn't, and honestly, I can't really think of that many. You know, for a while, Jaden Daniels was, uh, was a guy I was kind of saying, okay, you're done, you're out. Jaden was, you know, telling me UCLA is like fourth or fifth on my list. I just didn't fail on my visit. I just didn't connect with the, with the coaches there. Um, but they actually made a pretty late run. You know, obviously, uh, Jane's mo- mom was pretty high in UCLA, loved the academics, loved the location. But uh, it kind of came down to just Jaden feeling like he could play earlier at ASU. And even though they were late getting in, he really felt comfortable with, with Herm Edwards, Antonio Pierce, Rob Likens. That staff did a, a really good job closing on him. And um, so UCLA actually kind of hung around more longer than I thought they could, but shoot in the end, it almost kind of paid off where they got in there and they were in the, they were in this final two, final three, along with Utah. So, uh, but overall, I think the strategy of, of not wasting your time on guys you don't have a chance at, they probably didn't do that as much as Moore did, except for probably just maybe just brew. Uh, all right. Anything else, David, we move on to the next one. Let's move on. Okay. Uh, at number five. So only two of the Pac-12 South teams are in the top half of the recruiting ranking. So at number five, we have Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> All right, ASU at 31st nationally in the first year of Herm. The first full nice offseason job, of Herm. Herm. I know. Uh, fifth in the Not fifth bad. in the Pac-12. Uh, Jaden Daniels, a headliner. Um, 
what do you what do you make of the job Herm did um, recruiting this cycle and his staff? Um, obviously, some some big time recruiters on that staff. Great job, great, great, great job. You know, Antonio Pierce is a guy I've known for a long time since before he came to Long Beach Poly, but he spent five years at Long Beach Poly, and so I was happy to see him. You know, have a lot of success, and I I was surprised. I I knew he could. You know, I know AP was relatable, but I was surprised at just how hard the guy worked. I mean, he was he was like relentless, maniacal in his efforts. And, and especially in, in Southern California, I mean, they, they really went all in. The whole staff was, was really aggressive. Herm Edwards, as you, as you know, we all thought we, I think we all had questions about, you know, the term, is he going to know how to run a team? You know, I think we all wondered about that, but I think we all knew, you know, here's a guy who at, at the worst case scenario, he'll kill it in the homes, right? Just because everything he says is like a motivational speech. <laughs> so you kind of just knew that, you know, parents and kids, they would really love that. Just, you know, just how high energy and how excitable and just, and, and it, 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 that was the case. I mean, they were able to beat out, you know, um, USC for Stephon Wright. That was, that was big. They were able to beat out everybody for Jaden Daniels. They were able to beat out Utah, who was a longtime leader for Donovan West, who I, I think is really good. Uh, able to beat out, you know, UCLA for, for the Markham Twins, although, that's almost not fair because AP had that Long Beach Poly connection. Um, they really did a nice job out recruiting a lot of schools that traditionally, I mean, they had, they had Drake Jackson who just got bumped up into our, our top 50 after a really good week at the army game or take away, can't call it the army game anymore. Um, Drake was, was ready to go to ASU largely because of how well they did recruit him. End of the day, you know, he just, he just, felt like he couldn't leave home and, and really just felt like, you know, he, USC, that was my dream school. I'm going to stick with it. But I mean, the night before and even the morning of signing day, he was ready. And that would have been, you know, that would have been huge for, for ASU too, to, to land him and Stefan Wright, two of the top, you know, D tackles out West. So they really impressed me and they're already got a good start to 2020. Uh, I, I think they got a, coming from a recruiting standpoint, I think they got a good thing going right now. You look at the uh, class, four guys enrolled. Three of them are quarterbacks. Uh, Jaden Daniels, from uh, he's out from San Bernardino, San Bernardino way, dual threat quarterback. He's the highest uh, rated of those guys. But what's how's that going to work with three quarterbacks, and what do you like about uh, those three guys? Um, so with Jaden Daniels, um, you know, I, like, I like a lot about him. It's probably the top dual threat quarterback. Uh, but he's he's pretty pure. Usually, when you, when you say a kid's a dual threat, you're almost saying like, yeah, he he's a more of an athlete than a than a thrower. But Jaden, he can throw. He's a pure pocket guy. He's prolific, uh, high IQ. Understands, you know, throwing with touch. When to put some heat on the ball. When to take some off. He understands, you know, route ca- concepts. He's a four year starter. So he has he's an he's advanced in terms of how to throw it and and where to go with the ball. Real, real, real skinny kid right now. He's listed at 175. I looks closer to 150 to me, but he needs to pack on some weight, get stronger. But just, just oozes upside. I mean, when our national guy saw him for the first time during the Under Armour game, they were just kind of blown away. At, at, and maybe I was too close to it to really see it, but they're like, dude, compare this guy to everybody else. You know, he's a top three quarterback in the country. And I think that might be where he's at right now. Uh, Joey Yellen, not the athlete that Jaden is, but, you know, he's another kid who's 
you know, really pure pocket guy, um, you know, coached up really well at Mission Viejo, Chad Johnson over there, um, strong arm kid, didn't have as, as great a week at the Under Armour game, but, uh, you know, he's a guy who I think can, you know, make all the throws. Again, high football IQ kid. You know, Ethan Long, almost kind of more of an athlete than a quarterback. I know he can play some, some defense and actually played a lot of defense, was banged up this past year. But West Lynn High School, I know Woody knows who else came out of West Lynn High School back in the day, the glory days. Who are we talking about? Woody. Sean I don't Eddie, know. K, K, K McNown came out of West Oh, Lynn is that right? School, the he was greatest West player Lynn. in UCLA. He was. Beautiful. Maybe the best player in UCLA history. The great one. So Ethan Long, he's the one I'm kind of curious about. You know, if there was a guy who we kind of wondered, you know, they're going to lose one of these guys. Well, Joey almost flipped to Georgia the morning of signing day. They made a big push when they heard about Justin Fields was going to go into that transfer portal. And ASU was able to hang on to him. But there was a time the morning of that we thought Joey might flip to UGA. Uh, but he signed Ethan Long. I'm curious just how he's going to fit in. Um, but he, again, he's an athlete, you know, 6'2", 215, an athlete, um, physical, tough kid. I could actually see him playing, you know, multiple spots. So uh, he might be a guy who, if he can't make it at quarterback, shoot, maybe you move him to, to safety, linebacker, you know, a different position, and hopefully he can go and, and make some plays for you. One, one thing that stands out um, as pretty obvious is, I mean, the three composite four-star guys that ASU got all come from Southern California, uh, Jane Daniels, Joey Yellen, and uh, Stephen Wright. Um, is that a reflection of, in your mind, or how much of it is a reflection of the way Antonio Pierce made a huge impact and, and just the way ASU is focused on Southern California? And how much of it was kind of UCLA and US, well, USC being down and UCLA I don't know, deciding not to recruit this cycle. Yeah, I mean, UCLA recruited the Markham Twins pretty heavily, tripped them both in, and, you know, did a, did a pretty decent job with them. But, again, that was, that was, they were always going to be tough to pull out of ASU or, you know, just because AP coached them for three years and the family loved them. Uh, for whatever reason, UCLA never really pursued Stephon Wright hard. Uh, USC did. And, you know, they, they wanted him badly, as did, as did Washington. That was kind of his final three. But I would, I would say ASU probably, you know, outworked, outperformed, and then they outplayed them. You know, they, I think Wright was, was visiting when ASU beat USC on the field. So chance to play early, all that kind of stuff factored in for, for Stephon Wright. And uh, who, was the, who was the fourth kid, the other? Oh, it was just Jaden Daniels, the, Joe Yellen, and, and Wright. Oh, and, and Jaden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so Jaden, you know, USC offered Jaden early on. But, you know, coming after JT, that wasn't going to happen. We all thought UCLA was going to get him once they offered him just because it was the local school and we knew that's where mom wanted him. But uh, it just never really connected that well with the, with the staff. And then ASU came in late and kind of just, you know, really, I haven't seen it happen that much where they came in so late. I mean, they came in like, I want to say like October-ish, yeah. maybe even November, and were able to steal him away from Cal, Utah, and, and UCLA. So, I mean, just – Huge credit to the whole entire ASU staff, but then, you know, maybe put a little bit of blame on on UCLA being the local school. Not, not to be able to hate, not, not to be able to get that guy. You know, you, you gotta get that guy. If he's in your backyard, and you have mom on your side. But again, it just didn't connect as well. And I think also Dorian Thompson Robinson being there, you know, they feel like that he can start and compete from playing time right away at ASU. Whereas, you know, I think Dorian's gonna be gonna be pretty good. Um, 
and they I think they kind of thought, you know, easier chance to start and compete right away. He was going to be an early enrollee, and I think ASU offered that early playing time, which, which was really big for him. One of the things you mentioned, if we're all questioning, can Herb Edwards, like, run a team? Is it going to be – And but it looks like he is. I mean, I think he's, you know, distributed the – um, you know, re- responsibilities between the coaches and everyone, the staff pretty well. I know they're trying to do it a little bit differently at Arizona state. I like the way they put this class together. And I, I think one, one thing you look at Greg, and I don't know if you agree. I love the way they break down for an ASU. I think this is a, a really good breakdown of where you'd want to get your kids from. They got eight guys from California, five in state from Arizona. He's still going to pick three out of Texas. And then you get some other states, like one from Colorado, one from Hawaii, one from Louisiana, one from Oregon. That seems like a pretty good ratio and a goal kind of every year to me. I don't know if you agree. Yeah, no, I, I agree. You know, you, you got to know, go where you can get the kids from. California, you can get them from. In-state, you can get them. Again, like I said, with Arizona, you know, they got to try to get the elite, elite kids. You know, get those dudes from Saguaro that are going everywhere else but ASU and Arizona and, and Chandler High School and, you know, but... I think I think Herm Edwards is a national brand. I, I think we probably talked last year at this time, and I think we probably were laughing and saying, "What is ASU doing?" And you know, they I thought they hired Herm because you know he was he was agreeing to, to keep the the current OC and DC, and both those two guys left. Now, what do you like? You left with Herm, but shoot, man, I was impressed with what they did on the field and also off of it. So I don't think you closed the book just yet. You want to see if they can sustain this for three or four years, but. I mean, they outperformed what I expected on the field and also in recruiting. So um, I give props to Herman. You know, I take back what I said about just not, you know, kind of thinking it was kind of just crazy. But, no, I, I think they can definitely recruit anywhere out west. And, you know, Arizona State has always been able to go get a couple of kids in Texas, continue to do that. Yeah, I think it's a pretty good geographical look at what a class should look like if you're, if you're ASU. All right, you want to move on? Last one, David? Let's do it. Okay, so this is uh, number two. Now, I think earlier, or when we talked to Brandon, uh, it was switched. Washington was number two, but uh, it's like half a point as far as the total points in the ranking. So it's very, very close. But uh, coming in at number two is USC Trojans. All right, so USC is now 17th in the country uh, after being fourth last year. They're second in the Pac-12 now. Um the reason why we're saying now is because they had one of the most bizarre things happen. Uh, Brew McCoy, their lone five-star, um, decided after enrolling in school, um, after, I think, going to class for a couple of weeks, uh, that he wasn't feeling it and uh, and elected to enter the transfer portal, go to Texas, uh, where there's, I, I, I don't know what the latest is, some conflicting info about whether or not he'll be immediately eligible. Greg, can you break this whole thing down, this insanity that happened here? I cannot break it down publicly. Um, Ryan Abraham knows why. I've told him privately what's going on. It's, uh, it's, it's a weird situation, honestly. And like I said, there's, there's still litigation going on. So there's only so much that, you know, the family wants to put out there publicly. Yeah, USC did allow him out of his letter of intent, which they did not need to do. Uh, I thought that was a, a pretty classy move by, by Coach Helton to do that. But since he started classes, now they need, they need to petition to the NCAA for him to gain you know, immediate eligibility, which I don't know exactly how they, how they go about doing that, right? Um, I guess the hardship would be 
you know, they, they went there with, you know, with the hope that Cliff Kingsbury was going to be the OC. I, I think you need more than just that, you know, right. You can't yeah. just allow players to get out because the OC left or, you know, what next, because the strength coach left. So I, I think there's got to be other stuff there um, that I'm sure they're going to try to, you know, try to show when, when they appeal the NCAA, and appeal to the NCAA, maybe because he was only there a week or two or whatever. I don't know, but to answer the original question, yeah, bizarre. You know, this is a kid who was diehard USC out of the womb. And I knew it was close. Talking to the family, I knew it was a lot closer than, than people thought between USC and Texas. Texas did a, a much better job recruiting Brew than any other school by far. And the receiver coach at Texas, Drew Merringer, was developed such a close relationship that when Brew had to tell Texas no, it was a three-hour Skype conversation. It was that hard to get off the phone because they had developed such a closeness and, and he didn't have that with any other school. And, you know, the chance to, to come in, you know, Texas has a receiver, uh, little Jordan Humphrey who came out early and, and they said, Hey, this guy's going to probably leave early. We don't have anybody else at that spot. If he leaves that spot's yours, you have no one else. You're going to start next year for a potential top five team. And I, I think all of that kind of stuff, and you kind of add some of the, some of the discontent at USC, you know, I don't think, I think it's okay to say, you know, I don't think the family was super jacked up about the timing of when Kingsbury left a day after Brew got on campus. So there was, okay, this is kind of ironic. Did, was, was that really, you know, was that really on the up and up or yeah. was it just re- weird timing that he got there and then we leave. So I, I think that and, and some other issues all kind of, you know, got into Brew's head a little bit, and he just didn't want to be there, you know, flat out. Just decided, you know what, he just didn't want to be there. So I know Ryan put some great stuff in the war room. You know, if you know Brew, about as competitive a kid as I've covered, you know, just talk about a dog mentality. That is that is this guy. And it's, it, you know, it sucks for USC, but when you hear some of the, some of the reasons why, you almost kind of have to be like, okay, you know, this guy, that was a tough move to do what he had to do. You know I mean? Just like he went to modern day when everybody in the world thought he was going to Bosco, you know, at the time modern day was down. It hadn't won in 20 years. Bosco had just won a national championship. They were rolling. He wanted the, he wanted a, a bigger challenge. He did a 90 minute drive to modern day every day. Cause it was, he said he kind of thrived under that kind of adversity. And I think all along, just talking to the family, they had always kind of said, kind of compared, you know, USC was Bosco and Texas was modern day. You know, USC was easy. It was comfortable. It was familiar. It was where he knows everybody. He's been on campus a hundred times. Texas was, was modern day. It was, it was not comfortable. It was going to be harder for him. It was going to be the tougher choice, but it's kind of, the kid, he, he kind of thrives under that kind of adversity. You know, some kids want to be comfortable and want to be, they want the safe choice. And, Brew was not that kid. So he made a really, really tough choice. And he kind of said, you know what, even if I need to sit out, I'm still willing to do this. So um, it, it was, it, I was surprised to see him leave. But when I kind of heard some of the reasons around it, I kind of got it. But it was still just, it kind of blew me away. I just don't ever see that happen. And to see it happen to USC with, with Brew, um, yeah, it was, it's a once, probably, I probably won't see it again 
for another, another 20 years. Greg, we've been covering this uh, recruiting stuff, the craziness for a long time. And uh, with 24-7 sports in the composite, rankings oh by the way so losing the the five star and brew mccoy the pac-12 only has uh Kayvon thibodeau as the the uh 24 7 sports uh five star signee right now so kyle ford is a 24 7 sports five star but not a composite five star so the only composite five star uh is thibodeau so only one in the whole conference which is kind of crazy but if you if you look back from 2002 when we have like pretty good uh, data all the way to this year. And this USC class is just different than anyone we've seen. Uh, it'll have the most three stars. Uh, the most three stars they've ever got is, uh, is 11, uh, in a year. They've already got 12. They'll probably get a couple more of those. Uh, typically you get between, you know, four and eight, uh, in 2003, they got 11 of the top 20 players in California. Uh, right now they have two, and so it's and you know no five stars. They've had at least one five star every year. They don't have that. So it's 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 like uncharted territory for USC. I mean, is that something you've noticed? It just seems like this is a very very different class than any of the ones in the last eighteen years or whatever seventeen years, whatever it was. Uh, this one just seems very different. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely different. You know, it's uh, you know, for, 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 I'm not trying to make excuses for USC. But let's just be honest, it, the West Coast this year, it, it's down. We don't really have that many five-stars out West, period. Not, so, I mean, you can, you can say, okay, oh, the only one going to the Pac-12. I mean, I think we only have, what, two or three? We have Kayvon, we have Brew, and who was the other um, five-star from the West Coast in the top 32? Do you even uh, – I mean, is it – Well, there's, Kyle there's Ford is like five-star – for 24 I mean, seven in a, in a composite is there there's like who else is in the composite i should know this at the top of my head but uh i mean spencer rattler rattler spencer rattler and, and again you know no one was usc was not going to get an elite quarterback after studying jt last year so rattler oklahoma but that was really it 2020 is going to be a lot stronger there's going to be five guys maybe in the top 10 next year out west you talk about ricks and dj and justin Flo and Kendall Milton and Keely Ringo. Those are five guys that will all be in the top 10 to 15 players all on the West Coast. Uh, this year, it was just, we just didn't have that. Um, so not making excuses. It's a really weird class if you're USC. You look top to bottom. I still like, you know, love Drake Jackson. Uh, I like Jude Wolf a lot. I like Raymond Goforth. I like the JC kid, Nick Figueroa. Um, I think Stanley Tafu has a chance to be kind of one of those sleeper kids that goes to somewhere else. And then you go, you know, three years later, you talk, you know, SC, you say like, why didn't they sign that kid? I think he could be that guy. I think Drake London is really underrated. I think he's, he can play. Um, so I, I think they still have some dudes, right? I mean, if they can hold on to Kyle Ford and, and Puka, then all of a sudden you're, you're wide receiver class with, with Puka, Kyle Ford, uh, Drake London, Minier McLean. That's still not bad, obviously, with USC. It's got to be – you're talking linemen. You know, you, the games they've lost in the past few years, whether it be Ohio State or Notre Dame, you're kind of seeing them get pushed around a little bit. So you're kind of hoping that some of these guys, Jason Rodriguez, you know, hoping that he can, he can become, you know, a, an elite offensive lineman for them. Um, they, they signed a kid from Narbonne. You know, they, they missed on Jonah Talanu, pushed really, really hard, missed on him. But getting – you know, Talini Levi from Narbonne, those coaches at Narbonne swore that this guy might have been 
you know, their, their best lineman this year. Not the, not the prospect that Jonah is, but he was probably their, their most physical O-lineman this past season. So he's another kid, kind of a sleeper, but I think he could outperform guys rated ahead of him, outperform his ranking. So, again, not, not trying to make excuses, but I, I do think, you know, the class isn't what we've seen from, from Pete Carroll, but even in a, in a down year, it's still going to be a top 15 class. And it's still not as bad as I think people are making it out to be. I think, you know, the, the days of maybe signing, you know, with the year they, I think it was the Joe McKnight year, they signed like three guys in the top five or something crazy like that. Uh, I don't know if we're going to see that anymore, but it's still top to bottom. I, it's going to still be a pretty solid to good class, I think, for USC. Yeah, I mean, that's the crazy thing that stands out to me is that they just had the worst year they've had in forever. They've got a full dead man walking as their head coach and they've they're going to have a top 15 class. Like, I mean, it, it, that's the strength of the brand is that even basically at the worst it's going to be, it's still a top 20 recruiting program. That's silly. Yep. Um, yep. When uh, when you're looking at, I mean, just. I don't know. When you look at like Raylan Goforth, what do you think about him as a player? I know he was a guy that um, was a battle between UCLA and USC a little bit. Um, Nick Figueroa, what do you think of those couple of guys? I mean, both those two guys, like what you said was perfect. It's, it's the brand. It's the name brand that no matter what, no matter how they do, no matter who's the coach, they're always going to get dudes. And Raylan Goforth was a guy you would think you know, you look at UCLA has no linebackers. USC has a ton. Uh, UCLA just beat USC. Uh, USC has, you know, a, a coach on the hot seat, and they're still able to recruit a kid who had an older brother who went to UCLA. That's the brand right there. Nick Figueroa, another kid who was an early UCLA lean, heavy lean. That looked like a done deal. USC offered well after UCLA did. He takes a visit. He commits to USC. I like both those two kids. I was a little, I was a little bit down on, on Goforth going into the season. I thought junior year he was just okay for me. Um, but he really impressed me with how he played. He just uh, – something changed. Man, he, he – uh, I saw a lot more toughness, a lot more physicality. He was always a guy who can run around. He was an athlete. But he really showed me a lot more physicality than I had seen as a junior. I think Figueroa, great on tape. Never saw him in person. But I love the size, love the frame. I think the guy has a chance to to be an instant, you know, impact guy right away. So those are those are two guys who I think ordinarily, you know, you wouldn't expect USC to be able to get. Um, and you would think, oh, UCLA should be able to get both those two guys. But yet the, the brand, they were able to, to land both of them. You know, Jude Wolf, I'm, I'm really high on him. I, I never thought he was used that well at Bosco for the last two years. I mean, he's a guy who was always open and just didn't get a lot of a lot of touches, but I think he's one of the top three or four tight ends nationally. Could have gone to Oregon, could have gone to Washington, could have gone to Notre Dame. And again, he chose USC largely because of the brand never wavered through all the coaching changes. Even when there was, you know, Kingsbury came in and people were saying, Hey dude, why do you want to go to USC? They don't even use a tight end in that offense. He was like, Hey, I'm going to USC. It's not just a football decision. It's about life after football. I'm comfortable there. I want to go there. So, I mean, USC, again, it, they, they still were able to get guys that probably no other school could get in, in a down year like they had this past year. One last one for me, Greg. The uh, Still no offensive coordinator hire. Uh, you know, there there was talks. Graham Harrell was uh, on campus over the weekend. We were able to confirm that. Uh, but no, you know, 
apparently he's back in Texas right now. They haven't signed him. So it's, it's still up in the air, but you know, potentially it uh, looks like USC would try to get another air raid. Uh, has that not having an offensive coordinator or who they could hire? Has that been, you know, in the, in the circles, recruiting circles about some of the guys, like they have two, uh, re, you know, receivers committed, but you know, the other guys are recruiting. Has that been an impact not having an offensive coordinator? I mean, it, it hasn't been Kyle Ford, you know, he, he's kind of gone underground. I, I mentioned on your board, you know, I think from, from here and talk to some people at, at Orange Lutheran on the coaching staff, it, it looks like Kyle is going to stick with USC uh, with, with Puka. Uh, I'm not sure. I know, you know, Blair's talked to him a ton and I, I'm sure he wants to know, you know, who the OC is. But I think what USC is selling right now and, and talking to some parents of even 2020 kids, you know, Bryce Young is, is obviously a, a key target for them. They're not necessarily telling people, you know, names of coaches, but stylistically, they're going to go air raid. They're not going to go for Jed Fish. Um, they want a guy who's going to go four or five wide with their personnel. Um, you know, they don't have the, the O-line right now that can play smash mouth, but they do have JT Daniels, who can get the ball, go, get the ball quick, be smart, be accurate. Um, they got the receivers, a lot of depth there with, you know, Tyler Vaughn's and, and Pittman and, you know, just uh, a host of kids, right? The offense just fits better with, with that kind of what they did against Notre Dame. I, so everything I've heard, it, even if it's not going to be Graham Harrell, it looks like that's the style that they want to go for, which is, like I said, just an air raid style. That's what everybody's been, been telling me and what everyone's been talking about. So, uh, you know, Kingsbury, you know, said no, but they, that's, they still want to go with that kind of a style of offense. I think that's what they're selling to kids. And I think, you know, if you're a wide receiver, you're still kind of attracted to that because you can catch, you know, you can be the fourth guy and still catch 40 balls next year. I guess we're, right. uh, yeah, I think that's it for the Pac-12 South. Um, anything else, Greg, that you wanted to uh... – Dry any knowledge bombs you want to drop about recruiting in the Pac-12 in general? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> that for a great answer. I, I, I think there's still, I think there's still uh, a couple of kids out there that I'm curious about. You know, I think it's going to end up being a, a USC UCLA battle for C.B. Nomura at a Centennial. Uh, he was on UCLA's campus on on Saturday. I, ironically, he was supposed to visit USC officially, but he had his winter formal on Friday night. And so uh, USC staff said, Hey, just come next weekend. We can have the full week. So he ended up going to UCLA and they offered him. And I, I think he's kind of intrigued. So I think USC has been on him for a while, but so CB Nomura kind of watch out for him. Uh, Jordan Wilmore is going to be, it's going to be a Pac-12 battle for him. Uh, he'll be at ASU this coming weekend. He's already been to Utah and UCLA. So kind of a, like a Jaden Daniels all over again with those three schools involved. And I think right now with Jordan, it's, it's probably too close to call. So, I think you look at those two guys, um, you know, kind of where's Puka going to stick? Where's Kyle Ford going to go? And then maybe the other, you know, kind of the bigger name out in Southern California, you know, USC uh, just offered Jaden Williams from Centennial also, a, a DB who tripped to Washington. Oregon is also involved. So it'll be a Washington-Oregon-USC battle for Jaden Williams. Uh, and that'll be a Saturday day decision as well. So a couple of Centennial kids, you got Kyle Ford, you got Puka, you got Jordan Wilmore. That's kind of the, the main buzz. You know, the early signing period has kind of taken a lot of the, a lot of the juice away from the February signing period, but still some, some good guys left. So still a little bit of a little bit of intrigue. 
Cool. Yeah. Thanks, Hi, guys. Greg. Yeah. Well, uh, follow him on Twitter. A little, little awkward pause there. I'm not sure if you wanted me to talk some more. I was, I'm, out no. of, I'm out of breath. I'm out of gas. It's, you know, it's tough with three because then we're not sure who's going to talk and we don't want to, you know, speak over everyone. But you can follow him on Twitter uh, at Greg Biggins does an amazing job in covering recruiting forever and ever. Maybe what, like 40 years, Greg? How long has it been? It's been a long time. A little, little over 20. Don't, don't age me that much, man. Come on. Give me a little bit of credit. No, but, uh, yeah. We, but yeah, he's it's been the, a long time, long it, time. It's crazy. Like we talk about from like the nineties and stuff when all this stuff was going on. No, I was doing it. Like you you were doing it. Like Dave was, you know, Dave's a young, I was, I was in the womb or something. I don't know. (laughs) Dave was in the womb. It was me and Brian trendsetters. Dude, our boy, Gary Paskowitz. God bless him. Right. I thought you had some really cool things. And the podcast was really cool about nothing on the, on a sober note, but uh, just kind of going back to the nineties. Gary was one of the first guys I met. In this business, my first day in the student sports office, I walked in. There was Gary, uh, USC wallpaper room, all over the place in his office, and I'm like, this guy is pretty excited, you know, pretty excited about what he's doing over there at <laughs> USC. So, yeah, it was uh, it was good times back. Guys, things have changed so dramatically, right? 900 phone numbers back in the day to now, where everything's on social media, it's it's completely changed. Yeah, very very different. And then we, you know, we talked about. Yeah, rest in peace. If you don't know, Gary Paskowitz covered USC for a long time from WeRC.com and uh, passed away a couple weeks ago through a stroke. So unfortunate, Uh, you know, just someone you see all the time. So it's going to be weird not going to going to practice and not seeing him there. But it's it's changed. Like he used to run the USC scout site. I used to run the rival site. um, And it was like. You know, there was just it's the, the industry has just changed so much over all those years and stuff. So it's it's been crazy. Dude, he used to run. So when I first got to student sports, dude, the, the people that are under the age of thirty would go, "What's that?" He used to have a USC football fax. Yes, and he would actually fax to people. And like nowadays, people would be like, "What is that machine that you're? What are you doing with that? Like, what's a fax machine?" But uh, no, that's what Gary started off doing. That was this was pre-internet when I first got there in '96. There wasn't really anything on the internet even. So uh, Gary had his football facts rolling out there every week, and man, he wanted to recruit. Gary was was beautiful, man. He literally wanted to be a recruiter. He he didn't, he didn't recruit kids, but he, his ultimate job. He's like, man, I would love to be on the staff and be able to recruit. I could get anybody to come to USC. Like how much we have to. It was always we. You know, yeah. he never said USC. He said we. It was always we. I think I think we feel good about this guy. We're gonna get this guy. We love this guy. I'm like, it, it was just he's adorable. Just an adorable lug. Yeah, lug of a guy. Gentle soul, and we're gonna we're definitely going gentle, beautiful soul to miss yeah. him. Yeah, back back in '96, I was on GeoCities, which was like this. You know, if <laughs> I you remember, remember that. And I I bought the domain name in like '97, and I think Gary was fo- turned to football facts, and then. He bought WeRSC in like 98. So this is all like the early, yeah. early stuff. And Dave was like three years old or something. Yeah, something like that. Oh, Dave. <laughs> well, Greg, thanks again. We appreciate you coming All on. right, fellas. Thanks for having me. Always. Thanks, Greg. Well, that was pretty cool, Dave. Uh, you know, I, I love getting the, the flavor from Greg and, and uh, Brandon. They really know what they're talking about when it comes to recruiting in the Pac-12 especially. Yeah, it's refreshing to talk to somebody who knows what he's talking about on this program. <laughs> they get us all the time, and they'll get some some actual <laughs> competent people. <laughs> um, oh.
Well, there's a little bit of. Well, it's, it's not. This isn't really a breaking news, but sort of. Like I got an email from the Pac-12, and uh, my guy Shotgun kind of tweeted out some stuff. Um, so the Pac-12, uh, they're going to hire the Rain Group to help with its media assets. And so I'll read you the beginning of it. So the Pac-12 announced it engaged with the Rain Group, a leading global investment bank focused exclusively on sports, media, and technology to work with the conference on its media rights strategy, including opportunities to maximize the value of its full portfolio of media assets through strategic partnerships. So if you're playing like bingo in one of the conference rooms of like the buzzword bingo, you would probably win just from that opening sentence. But yeah, those, those are a lot of word noises that mean things. (laughs) Um, uh, wait, 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 wait. So, they didn't put what paradigm we're given in to under, What we're given to understand is a media company <laughs> is hiring a media consultant to work with it on its media like rights. Yes. Okay. What is anyone at the Pac-12 network or the Pac-12 getting paid to do then? Well, they're probably not paid like they're not, probably not getting paid a lot because you know. Yeah, probably not. Probably not like much more than any other commissioner in the sport, yeah. for example. Like because they are a media company. And so now they're getting a media. This this screams to me of he's going to, so he they have to sell. So what Larry Smith is going to sell. And if you listen to uh, John Wilner had a podcast recently, and it sort of made my we should have well, we should we should have John on because I'll tell him like some of the stuff that I forget who his guest was was it was sort of making my skin crawl a little bit. Like he was really saying, oh, this is the best. You know, this is a great strategy and blah blah blah. And it's like uh, you know it it could be a good strategy, but the the money that you've already lost for 12 years or whatever, or the last like seven or eight years of the contract, you have to make up a lot of that by selling it. And I get, and people bring up the Pac-12 is never going to be the SEC or the big 10. That is a hundred percent true, but it doesn't need to be this far behind. And I don't think you're going to be able to catch up just by owning the, the little watched Pac-12 network uh, all on your own. So this, this to me, David screams of, you know, we're going to there. This is him trying to get an extension and having this huge plan in place. So look, when when the deal comes up in 2024 or whatever it is, this is going to be huge. We're going to do it like this. The rain group said it's going to be this and that. And you got to extend me. That, that, that's the feeling I get from reading all this. Oh, I get the feeling of just nonsense, corruption and graft. And they probably <laughs> he probably knows people at the rain group. And he's like, hey, why don't I give you a contract to do some meaningless work for us? It doesn't matter. Uh, in the grand scheme of things, because um, that's that's what's going to happen here. I mean, I don't think it's any broad strategy. I'm sure it's just lining the pockets of somebody he knows. It's just meaningless nonsense. It's fiddling while the Pac-12 just kind of fritters away. Uh, you know, it's 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 entire uh, apparatus. It's great. It's wonderful. Go yeah. go go league. Go. <laughs> yeah, the media company hiring. Yeah. So how much does that cost? Like, what are the costs going to be associated with this? To hire an investment bank as your consultant? Yeah. I don't know. I'm sure it's cheap. I'm sure it's it's really cheap. I'm sure it's not anything that, you know, you really have to worry about. Oh, and and it looks like they're based in New York City. So that's good. Yeah. That's good. (laughs) They're really leveraging that location in downtown San Francisco by reaching out to an investment bank in New York City. Cool. So it's going to be up to the presidents to like say no, like we're you know we're not buying this, this is not going to work. But what I will see, 
Uh, should we jump into questions? We don't have that many. Yeah, let's <laughs> let's do it. I can't look at this awful mergers and acquisitions website anymore. <laughs> uh, do you want me to start? We got Tristan in Rochester, New York. I'll uh, start with Tristan. Oh, okay. Uh, Aaron Rodgers wins the Pac-14 championship. Hey, guys, since it doesn't look like the Pac-12 is getting much better on its own this offseason, I'm left dreaming about ways the conference could rise to national prominence. What do you think of these hypotheticals? One, what if the Pac-12 became the Pac-14? Boise State is less than an hour from Oregon State and a much more frequent staple of the top 25, while Fresno State is rated higher than every single Pac-12 team per S&P+. Or you could replace non-conference games against FCS teams with conference games against South Dakota State and Eastern Washington to at least give the illusion of schedule strength. Um, I Well, first of all, the Pac-12 does like to go in pairs. It's sort of like the uh, Noah's Ark. So, it, you know, Boise State and, and Fresno State, I don't know if that's like a real pairing. Uh, but it, it's far, it's, usually it's about money. And football-wise, I think that would be great. But they're not; those markets aren't going to bring a ton. Now, Fresno's not bad. I think it's a a top 60 market, but you're not really getting anything from Boise. So um, I, I don't think that would happen, but football wise, I think that would be kind of interesting. Um, I don't know what you think, David. I'm going to look up the Boise uh, television market right now. They're 106th. Yeah. So not really getting a whole lot of juice there, but I don't know if there's many options out West where you are getting a whole lot of juice anymore. I just don't, there's no value add there, so they probably wouldn't do it. Um, so yeah, I think the only the again the only scenario that's ever going to make any sense is uh, poaching somebody from the Big Twelve unless you unless you get really wonky geographic geographically and start taking whoever. Um, which I don't know. I'm not ruling that out in the long term, but um, no, I think if if it ever does happen, it's going to be like a Texas or an Oklahoma or something like that. Yeah. Uh, two, what would the conference look like if each team in the Pac-12 were allowed to start one alumni currently in the <laughs> NFL? Would Cal ride Aaron Rodgers in their defense to a 15-0 season? Would Mariota even start over Herbert? Would the conference finally have a winning record in bowl games? Okay, Mariota would start over Herbert, Herbert in a heartbeat. Yeah, he won the freaking Heisman. Do, do, do people forget <laughs> how good he was in college? Yeah. Like how freaky good he was in college. I mean, Herbert's a nice player, but he's nowhere in the conversation. I mean, I would take Vernon Adams over Justin Herbert right now, but that's just yeah. me. Um, okay. So, yeah, Cal would take Aaron Rodgers. This is actually a really interesting idea. Yeah. Who uh, would you pick? Man, we'd have to. Like, would like a Colorado bring back like a Nate Soldier, you know, like an offensive lineman or what, you know, what are you like? What do you need? I, you'd almost have to, right? Like he's a stud. I mean, there's a lot of studs, but like, wh what do you need? Like, who do you need more? I guess you'd probably, I think you'd have to prioritize because quarterbacks are the most important position on the field. I think if you have even a decent NFL quarterback who's currently playing still, you'd have to prioritize him. Right. I would think so. And, uh, and so, but someone like with the potential, all the potential in the world, it's so like Washington would probably bring back Jake Rogers, right? Like that would be Jake Browning. Jake, Jake Browning. Browning. I'm sorry. Why is it Jake Rogers? We're talking about Aaron Rodgers. Man, well, I screw up the you, joke. Because when you think of Aaron Rodgers, you're like, who's the closest thing to that <laughs> leaving the league this year? And you're like, oh, Jake Browning, Jake obviously. Brown. <laughs> so it's, it's normal to conflate the two. I would have like, like Shaq Thompson or someone like, I don't know, like who you'd want to bring back. Um, who would, who would UCLA bring back? You think? I mean, I think it'd be Josh Rosen just because of the, 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 the fact that 
it's the most important position on the field. If you're talking about who's the most physically talented player, I mean, you're probably talking about Anthony Barr or Miles Jack, yeah. or Kenny Clark, like all three of those guys would be options, but I don't know if they're necessarily, I mean, maybe Anthony Barr, maybe that's probably the obvious answer. He gives them an immediate, you know, pass rush, um, which obviously can't be under, uh, understated as important. Um, but, uh, I'd, I'd probably still go Josh Rosen just cause you're solidifying the quarterback position then. Yeah. I don't know for SC, like you might want to bring back like Tyron Smith, uh, the left tackle for the Dallas Cowboys. Like he's, he's been a stud for a long time. Uh, could be like a Leonard Williams. Cause they, you know, you certainly use some help along the defensive line, but like Robert Woods has been crushing it for, for the Rams. But I, I don't think they need as much receiver help, but he's been like, he's the, no, you would, I, but, but again, USC, you would obviously take Darnold. Like <laughs> if you put, if you, oh, put, you could do the, that. Yeah. Yeah. If you put Darnold on the team last year, do they go five and seven? I don't think so. And that's no, that's not even a reflection of JT Daniels. It's more just, that's kind of what Darnold brought to the team. Um, his playmaker ability, his ability to run around and do stuff. I mean, now maybe a, the forward thinking USC fan wouldn't want him because that means probably Clay Helton's there for a few more years. But <laughs> um, I, I, I think if you're talking about impact, I think it's, it's unless there's a really strong case or there isn't like a, a decent enough option. I think it's, almost invariably going to be quarterback for yeah. most of these teams. Now that makes sense. Cool. All right. And then he said, uh, your podcast may be 50% inaccurate, but the other 50% is good enough to help me figure out what to Google when I want to know the real story. So it works pretty well. Love it. Thank Thanks, you. Kristen. Thanks for that. 50% accurate. That's pretty good. That's, that's not bad. That's that, that would be, that would be hall of fame worthy in uh, baseball for the price you pay for our podcast. Like that's pretty good. I would say. Yep. Free. Uh, off-season topic. Hey, guys, love the show. A suggestion for an off-season topic. How about going through each school in the conference and speaking to a local or beat reporter about their last great season and how things have gone since then up until now? What was... I'm thinking about this. It make me laugh. Okay, one second. What was the state of the program during the season that was great and how have things changed since if they have changed? Uh, Sean from Ohio. And the thing I'm laughing about is because I was like, Oh, we could star this and talk about it later on. But we starred like a recruiting question. We were supposed to ask Greg and we never asked him. that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's, I'm sorry. That's why I left in the middle. I, I actually love this idea. I was thinking of something kind of similar, um, which was doing a slight retrospective on the 2013 PAC 12 season, because did you know the PAC 12 had four, um, SRS, which is the simple rating system, just kind of a, an easy analytics way of rating teams, had four top 10 teams that year. Wow. Oregon, Stanford, ASU, and UCLA. UCLA had its best team since 1998. ASU had its best team since 96 in the same year. Um, and then Oregon and Stanford were their usual dominant selves. But um, that was actually one of the better Pac-12 seasons in, in a long, long time. Um, so doing a, doing a little thing on like maybe kind of the, the, the standout seasons when, you know, just a, a few teams were really good, but yeah, this sounds like an interesting idea, something we could do. Um, UCLA's last good season was 2013. I think their last like really, you know, good team USC's was what? 2016. You could either say, cause they won the PAC 12 in 2017, but I would probably say 2016. Cause even though they were one and three, they did win the Rose bowl. So I, I think that's, they ended the season better. So I would probably say 2016. Yeah. 
yeah, 2016 was that year where at the end of the year you felt like, oh yeah, they can play with anybody right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, but no, that could be fun. We can, uh, we'll probably do a roundup with everybody. Um, I would say either leading up to or out of spring ball. So maybe we could fold that into that as well. Uh, yeah, that'd be good. So we can, we, we like to talk to all the different you know experts around the 24 seven sports network. So I think this would be a good, one of the things we could bring up when we uh, have each of them on. Yeah. All right. Ready for the next one? Sure. All right. This is Gordon and Steve USC recruiting dominance. Uh, in several past episodes, you've seemed to indicate that USC would drop a, could drop a turd on a four or five stars recruits living room carpet and walk away with a national letter of intent. Why is this? As someone who doesn't understand the college football recruiting world, I would think that high school football players would want to go to college programs with established track records of success in recent history. Sure, USC had a couple good years with Sam Darnold, but we all know there was more Darnold than Helton & Co. in that formula for success. Looking at their past record, which I've pasted below for your convenience, it seems to be more accurately described as good rather than great. Is it a self-perpetuating cycle that highly ranked recruiting classes beget winning season, which in turn beget more recruiting leverage and highly ranked recruiting classes? Would anything cause that cycle to break? I'm genuinely curious. Thanks for the entertaining podcast. Also, go Stanford. Yes, we exist. And then he, I know. And he pasted the records for USC, which does conform to the idea that it is good, not great. Um, they obviously haven't been as dominant as, you know, uh, Washington of late, Stanford and Oregon at the beginning of the stretch, starting at 2010. Um, so my answer is yes, something can cause that cycle to break, but it, it's going to require them being not good, but bad for several years in a row. Um, and that's the only point where it could start to break. Um, right now, worst season that they've had in forever. They're a top 20 recruiting program. Um, and they were very nearly a, a you know, top 12 with uh, if Brew McCoy had stuck around. Um, there's still a ton of fanboys, a bunch of guys who grew up watching USC, and L.A. is the biggest population center out west, and so you've got a bunch of guys who grew up fans, and so they're going to want to go to their school unless something else really convinces them otherwise. Um, it's got the, the rep. I mean, it's the most successful program out west uh, by far, um, and right up there with... Uh, the big national programs um, from a, from a history standpoint. So you've got that tradition. Um, you've got institutional commitment, um, obviously not in terms of coaching hires, but I think there's <laughs> a, there's, there's just, there's a sense of the seriousness of USC football around the program that maybe isn't there with every single other PAC 12 program. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's pretty much the, 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 the issue, but I mean, You'd be astonished, Gordon and Steve, how many of these guys still talk about, I mean, are they still doing it, Ryan? I haven't talked to these kids in like two years, but even when I was like still doing this in 2015, 2016, they were still pretending to be Reggie Bush fans yeah. as if they could remember him playing and they couldn't. Are they still pretending to be Reggie Bush fans? Because they always did that. It, we don't hear it as much, but that's definitely something that came up for like 10 years. You know, it was something that, um, and I think that's part of it that there's, like everything you said for sure. And you know, even when we were talking about it with Greg and I gave you like the stats, like, Hey, this is gonna be the most three stars they've ever signed since like in the recruiting age, they're only getting two of the California top 20 where typically they're having like six, seven, eight of them of the California top 20. So there's a lot it's, but it's still, 
you know, one of the best in the conference, number two right now. Um, and, and it's sort of one of those things that you could do this blindfolded. And I think it hurts USC in some ways because when you have administrations and coaches that are just kind of like, uh, you know, we, USC, you know, it's, it's like you, it's, it's, it's almost guaranteed that you're going to do well. So when you don't do well, everyone's like, what's going on? You're just kind of relying on that. So I think you're not going to see a program that's working as hard. You're certainly not seeing that right now. They don't may, maybe care about hiring people because you could hire mediocre people and still be good. So you see some of that. And I think, like David said, you need to have a, a pretty big trough for someone to wake up and go, okay, we can't just rely on being USC. We can be okay, but we're, if you want to get back to the playoff, this is not the way to go. You actually have to have good people in place, and they just haven't done that for the last several years. But a lot of it is, it's not just recent history. That's what you, that's what Gordon and Steve were talking about. It's the all of the history. It is having a room with six or seven Heismans in it or 11 national championships on the wall. And I think a lot of the times we talk about what is Chris Peterson doing, our kind of guys. USC is not doing that. They're not doing our kind of guys. They're doing the highest ranked guys, guys that think, they can be the next NFL star, and they see that a lot of dudes go to USC and and become stars in the NFL and move on and they make money. Now, not the majority of them, but that's the ones you see and that's the ones you know. That's one of the big recruiting uh, benefits of being at USC is like the 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 NFL track record. So it's not the R kind of guys. It's like the exact opposite of it. But you're going to get really highly ranked recruiting classes when you're recruiting that way. And there's and there's like David said, there's just guys that grew up and. They just want to go to USC, and, and no matter how bad they are, they were, you know, terrible this year. They don't have an offensive coordinator. They lost their strength coach. There's all this weird crap going on, and it's still like, yeah, it's still good. Yeah, it's very yeah. strange. It is strange, but and it frustrates USC fans. It might it probably frustrates like fans from other programs. You're like, how can they screw up so bad and still get a better class than what my team is? But it frustrates USC fans because you know if you just had competent people in place. You could crush it, you know, and and they're not. Um, even last yeah, year, yeah, and, and 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 fans of other programs, you know, rest assured, if Clay Helton's the head coach, they need to recruit at a much higher level than this. Like they need that because otherwise, I mean, it's dependent on development, and that's not really happening there. Yeah. Um. This is a okay. We have a text message. Do you understand this? It says, "I don't." Yes. Do you yes, want to I do. Um, Should we read this or no? Yeah, yeah. So he said, um, I don't understand why you guys enjoy crapping on Thomas. You guys have the commissioner of the Pac-12 backdooring his inner rationalizations to your little internet startup. Thomas is deep throat. Follow the money. So Thomas is our emailer oh, who okay. emailed us that conspiracy theory about um, DirecTV and Comcast and all that stuff. Oh, God. And he's <laughs> making the joke that that he's actually uh, Larry Scott. <laughs> Maybe, maybe he is, but man, uh, we, there's like, there's people that want to make us think a lot and do things. It's like, look, follow this. Like we, we, you know, this is like something we do two hours a week. We we can't really spend a whole lot of time on it. Uh, we, well, who's the guy that's tweeting at us? Is it, uh, what's his name? Um, that the, the guy from Washington, why am I blanking on that? Andrew, the, Andrew, all the charts and everything like Andrew, I love you, man, but it's just hard to like read all that stuff. And there's just. Every response that, you know, if you say something like, hey, what about this? I get five charts and it's a response. Like, I don't know what to do. I, I, <laughs> am, I being, am I being mean, David? I'm just not sure. Like, There was a Twitter. I, I There was a thread 
that you re- you made the mistake of responding to. I did. That um, was my bad. The other day that went on for just hours of just response after response after response of all these people. And I, I'll be honest, I, I stopped reading. I didn't know what was even being discussed after a little while. And I, I, I'm really just upset with you for egging it on. And I just wanted you to know that. Okay. I'm sorry. Like deeply, deeply upset. Well, I feel like he's pushing some sort of agenda that, that like that, I feel like it should all, everyone should have eight or nine games, you know? And, and for the, for when he's saying stuff like it doesn't really matter, I see it, you know, you can have sec teams go two and six in the sec in conference and make a bowl. Cause they go four and oh, and their other crappy games. And, and so he admitted, yes, by making bowls, but that's, you know, when you say you're playing 11 bowl teams or 12 bowl teams, I think all that stuff matters. So I, I definitely think it ma- it matters. Uh, that well, extra he, game. he's he's a he, so there's a thing with a lot of statistical guys, and I I kind of dabble. Is that if you really get into it, you stop thinking, you stop really concerning yourself with the soft, squishy stuff, which is like the perception based narrative stuff, which is something that I think sports journalism hits way too hard, which is just kind of the narrative based uh, stuff. And we talk, we do it a lot on here, and you know, obviously. Um, because we're a couple of dumbasses, but, um, there's a middle ground and you have to understand that people making decisions in the sport are operating in that middle ground. The CFP committee, um, anybody who's writing about the sport, who directs the narrative in the slightest, they're not doing it strictly based off of advanced analytics or stats or strength of schedule or anything like that. There is I think you can hold two thoughts within your mind that the SDC is the most dominant league in college football by a wide, wide margin. And there's also a bias towards it that accentuates that even beyond that standing. Um, Like you can hold these thoughts within your mind. Like that's, that's possible to do that. And I think, you know, some of that nuance gets lost and some of it's just, um, you know, you, you boil it down to the hard analytics of it. Yeah an SEC team playing an eight-game conference schedule is actually doing everyone else a service from an SOS standpoint. But you also have to factor in that for a lot of, you know, us dumb journalist types who unfortunately have an outsized influence on um, the narrative about the sport, uh, just simply having a gaudy record from playing four kind of crappy non-conference opponents in addition to uh, your eight conference games that matters. Yes. Like it matters to have that kind of gaudy record to be 10 and two instead of nine and three or whatever. Um, should it matter as much? Should it just be looking at SOS and, and you know, where they rank on various analytic systems? Maybe. Um, yeah. but that's just not the, the, the reality of, of how the sport functions. Exactly. Yeah. Andrew, my challenge to you is respond when you're upset with what we're saying here. Respond in non-chart form, like only and respond in a timely fashion so we can remember <laughs> what it is we said. Oh, use your words and not just. Uh, I'm going to give them eight charts. That will make it clear. Like no, the more charts you add, it, it gets exponential exponentially less clear. Um, we got this is a long one from old Michael. So base, I'm going to give you a generalization of it. He wants you to expand the playoffs. He he gives you some data. He thinks. You know, six or eight's the right number. He went back over the last several years. And so 13, uh, he said 13 of the 19 years, 60 per, 68% of worthy teams would have left out, would have been left out of a 14 playoff. So 
Um, so he's feeling that you definitely, there's worthy teams in there. There's definitely some upsets, but I mean, there's definitely some blowouts, but you have the chance for upsets just like the basketball tournament. And he feels that it will heighten the interest. And he thinks the automatic bids may be the only way to get one of Larry's losers into uh, the playoff. So he's really down with expanding the playoff. He says, if you can get Herocious, hold on. Herocious. Uh, to number one in Urban Dictionary, we clearly have to have the pull to con- uh, convince the powers that be to expand the playoff. So uh, I don't know what you think about that, but old Michael really wants us to do that. Yeah, I think I, I, I come at it from a different angle because um, this is another argument where a lot of the advanced stats guys are much more in favor of not expanding. Um, because they're feeling like we already get the right amount and that would just introduce variance. But I think it's a small sample size sport. I think after 12 games, we actually don't know who's great, who's not. Um, I think teams can suddenly catch fire at the end of the year. I mean, look at uh, USC, not even in 2016, though that's a fine example, but USC in in 2002, um, if there had been an 18 playoff and they'd been in it, they would have won the title that year. Instead, they were in the Orange Bowl playing Iowa or whatever. But that was the best team in the country at the end of the year. They just happened to start slow. Yeah. Um, it, there were some I, like I, West Virginia teams that like lost to like Pittsburgh at the end of the year and then got left out of the BCS. Like there's a lot of teams that were that you felt like, oh, man, that would be good. Even like UCLA with Cade McNown. Uh, they yeah. ended up losing to Miami. Um, well, the, and the thing is, 98 UCLA wasn't even the the better team 97 UCLA lost a couple of games at the beginning of the year, but then they went on a 10 game winning streak. And by the end of the year, they were one of the best teams in the country. Uh, that's the reason why they started out the first BCS poll ever. They were number one. Um, they, I, I think there's a really good argument to be made to expand it because it introduces that possibility. Um, and I, I, I think you can make a subjective argument that you want sustained excellence. You want the teams that are good from the beginning of the year or the teams that are, you know, uh, that maintain it from the start of the uh, start of the season to the end. But a team that kind of flubs non-conference play just because they're ironing some things out or they started a new quarterback or whatever it is. And then they just murder everybody in conference, but they finish nine and three with a couple of bad losses at the beginning of the year. And they're not rated super highly in analytics systems because of that. Well, that team might be one of the best teams in the country by the end of the year. It's a small sample size sport where development actually does happen at a huge rate over a short amount of time. Like you can have a team that looks pretty bad in game three, look like a world beater in game 10. Um, so introduce some variance, make it a little bit more unpredictable, um, this year, maybe that wouldn't have happened because Clemson and Alabama were so good, and I didn't see a team that came on like that. But some years there are those teams, and uh, a system that doesn't allow them to have an effect on things, um, it's it, you can make an argument for it. I don't think it's a hard and fast argument. I think you can make a subjective argument that getting a little bit more variance in there, getting a few more teams in there can make it more fun and maybe end up with a, a, a champion where everyone's like, oh yeah, well, they, they did start the year slow, but they they were the best team at the end of the year. Um, so I, I'm, I'm for expanding it on that standing. Um, I, I don't even know where you would stop. I, I, I'd be fine with eight, I think. 
Um, I've seen the argument for six. That seems whatever. I don't really worry about who gets included. I think automatic bids make sense for the conference champions. Again, under that scenario I just talked about where a team sucks in non-conference and then blows through conference play because that's the way timing in this sport works. Um, but yeah, I'd be fine with any system of expansion. I think four is too few. Yeah, I agree. I think we got one more. All right. Yeah, oh, this one came in just now. All right. Uh, so this is a reprise. So we asked people um, to send us uh, ones that uh, were not dated that we just skipped from last time. Uh, this is from Matthew, another Stanford guy. How How is this possible? Are you- this doesn't seem likely. Okay. I think he's the same guy as, as our other one, Gordon and Steve. <laughs> All right. Uh, Matthew from Mountain View. Hi, Ryan. And Dave, too, I suppose. He says, stop blaming the nine-game conference schedule for the playoffs. Plenty of people have blamed the nine-game conference schedule for some of the Pac-12 woes over the past several years. To the extent that it impacts bowl eligibility, I agree. At least one of USC, Arizona, Colorado would have replaced a loss with a win and gone 6-6. Six and six. But when it comes to making the playoffs, I don't buy it. Yes, it's true that the only conferences with eight-game slates, the SEC and ACC, have made the playoffs every year. But let's be clear, conferences don't make the playoffs. Teams do. The SEC has qualified for every playoff because so has Alabama. Does anyone really believe that Alabama would have done worse if they were in the Pac-12? Insert snarky comment about Pac-12 refs here. As for the ACC, it's been Clemson four years in a row with the only other playoff appearance coming from an undefeated defending national champ, Florida State, in 2014, who, by the way, got whooped by a Pac-12 school. If either conference had been dominating the playoff selections with a rotating group of schools, which admittedly sounds a lot like the SEC during their national championship streak from 2006 to 2012, then the eight-game argument would hold more weight. In reality, the most dominant college football rivalry of our lifetimes happens to overlap with these two conferences i'm supposed to ask a question so agree keep up the error filled good work matthew i think in this example you are correct but broadly speaking just because the the eight game slates have resulted in justified playoff contenders in each of this year doesn't mean that they are not an advantage for those conferences and for teams from those conferences you could make an argument that in a, in a particular year, if Alabama doesn't get it, then who would have who would have gotten in if uh, so this year it was Georgia who would have been. I think people would have said was deserving But there's got to be some other team that would have had in, in the last few years when Alabama's made it. If they'd lost in like the SEC championship game, who would have made it? Who wouldn't have been as deserving? Yeah. I mean, Alabama last year or 2017 was the fourth seed, right? Um they won the championship. So, I mean, obviously, they like, deserve to be in there. But they didn't win the SEC. They end up losing to Auburn. And so they were, what, 11-1? and one, And then they end up winning the national title. But that 11-1, and one, like, if they, you know, th- that could have been on the, you know, you get two SEC teams, that's on the strength of, oh, well, they, they beat Old Miss, who went 7-5 and five instead of, like, 5-7, and seven, you know, if they would have been in the Pac-12. Stuff like that, I think, helps them. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I think, yeah, you can point to it and say, well, yeah, Clemson and Alabama are historically good, but like set that aside. We're not saying it's an advantage because it's elevating them to the playoff because they're really damn good. And that's, I don't think that's in dispute, but will this in the future result in perhaps an undeserving team making it? And I, I think you can make that argument, especially because the, the the systems they're using to decide who's making the playoff, they there's some squishiness involved. It's not just 
the advanced stats. There's an element of subjective opinion and that's record. That's yeah. like, did you beat teams with a winning record? I know that's still a stupid thing. The CFP committee considers, right? There's um, a lot so of squishiness. I, I mean, Washington state, not getting a new year six bowl, like getting out of the top 12. I think that's, you know, how many sec teams were up there? Like that yeah. hurt the conference. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I think, um, I don't know. I, I, I think it would be great for, I, I, there's a trade-off. I think if the SEC is playing nine game schedules, then you're going to end up seeing them getting uh, even weighted higher in analytic systems, but they might end up with more losses and thus rated lower in squishy systems. So, you know, there's, there's trade-offs, yeah. um, but I would like to see it, you know, probably being the same across the board. Sweet. Well, that was a that was a good group of emails. It was smaller because we just went from uh, Wednesday to Monday. Uh, next week, what are we going to do? I guess we'll be recapping just in general, like where because it'll be after signing day, right? Or wait, is that no? Wait, no, no, no signing day is next week. So okay. I don't know. Should we do a show after signing day or just before? Uh, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, are you doing anything for Super Bowl? It's Super Bowl weekend. Um, no, it's actually here. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to be avoiding going outside of the house because, uh, like, apparently, like, a million people are coming to town. Lots. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'll watch it with my children. Uh, it'll be a bang-up Super Bowl party. Sweet. What about you? Uh, we're going to fly to Vegas for a day. Like, uh, we have friends that do a Super Bowl party every year. We haven't gone for a couple years. But uh, you can, we could fly out, like, Sunday morning and come back. Monday morning, it shouldn't be a problem. So it should be pretty cool. So just do a, a really quick 24 hours in Vegas. Cool. That'll yeah. be fun. That'll be fun. I like doing that. There's a there's a fun 10K run in Redondo Beach if I stick around. I went to the Waste Management Open one year, a couple years back in uh, Arizona. That was a lot of fun. Um, that's a crazy golf tournament. That's not, it's not like a golf tournament. It's just like a big party. There's like 250,000 people go to that thing. It's insane. I like uh, to manage waste. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we do on the show all the time. Um, yeah, I got to manage some waste after this. <laughs> all right. Well, you go manage your waste. <laughs> and uh, everybody else, thank you so much. Uh, we do appreciate you listening, especially you're at the, the hour and 50 minute mark. You're still listening. Uh, I really appreciate that. You don't have to be doing it. So uh, we'll keep trying to be entertaining. That's David Woods. I'm Ryan Abraham. We are the podcast of champions. Thanks for tuning in. And we'll talk to you next time.